Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. turned out to be unhealthy. The farmer died from natural causes. The Swede and Blinky Franklin were both killed. Do you know who else was in the gang? You were. Reach for that and I'll kick your brains out. Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Killers from 1946. The studio was Universal Pictures. The release date was August 28, 1946. The running time was 103 minutes, and it was in black and white. Don't have the budget, and I don't have the box office because they didn't keep, you know, exact totals back then like they do today. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it four out of four stars, and his quick little synopsis is compelling crime drama based on Ernest Hemingway's story about an ex-fighter found murdered and the subsequent investigation. The film provides fireworks, early success of Lancaster in his film debut, and Ava Gardner. Miklos Rosa's dynamic score features the familiar dum da dum dum later used in Dragnet. Screenplay by Anthony Vailer and uncredited to John Huston. It was reworked in 1964 with Lee Marvin and Angie Dickinson and Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, the actor. Some people will get that. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 100% fresh from 34 reviews. So I was introduced to this movie from a book I picked up about 15 years ago called Hollywood Picks the Classics, written by Brendan Fraser's ex-wife named Afton. This book was a terrific guide for me to check out all these amazing classics uh, from the acting legends listed in the book. And in addition, the book had uh, a top five picks per genre and the killers being placed in the film noir section. Netflix, the physical product, not the streaming version, and TCM were invaluable for me to check out hundreds of movies that I either didn't remember seeing as a kid or simply unavailable through home video growing up. In any case, the killers was often at the top of the list for film noir, along with the filmographies of both Burt Lancaster and Avon Gardner. All right, let's get into the main cast. Burt Lancaster plays the Swede, and as Leonard Maltin mentioned earlier, this was Lancaster's film debut, and man, what a way to start your career. He was almost 33 at the time, though, which was a little late to get into acting. Lancaster went on to be one of the most legendary actors of his generation and worked steadily in film and television until his death in 1994. One fun piece of trivia, Lancaster's final big-screen film role was as Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham in the 1989 classic Field of Dreams, which just goes to show that his presence in films did not diminish with age. Ava Gardner plays Kitty Collins, and Gardner was considered one of the most beautiful actresses of her era, and her beauty is definitely on display for the killers. Frank Sinatra was said to be enormously jealous of any man that would get near Gardner, and that he notoriously was present on set often during the filming of Magambo in 1953 due to her co-starring with Clark Gable, who was a notorious womanizer. 
In any case, The Killers was definitely Gardner's breakout role, though she did have an uncredited appearances in many films starting in the early 1940s. Edmund O'Brien plays Jim Reardon. O'Brien would go on to be a well-known character actor for his long career, which spanned over 30 years. But like Lancaster and Gardner, The Killers would be O'Brien's big break, which saw him play hard-boiled cops and detectives for much of his acting work in the 1940s and 50s. He's also excellent in the film DOA, the original version. The director is Robert Siodmak. Siodmak began his career in Germany, directing films uh, starting in 1930, but later left a few years later to Paris due to the uprising of Nazism in Germany. And so he lived in Paris until 1939, and then he decided to move to California to begin his Hollywood career and also invade the German invasion of France. He started by making B-movies like monster films like Son of Dracula and Cobra Woman, and he later transitioned to film noir with the excellent Phantom Lady in 1944. However, 1946 was the most stellar year for Siad Mac professionally as he directed three fabulous films, The Killers, The Spiral Staircase with Dorothy McGuire, and The Dark Mirror with Olivia de Havilland. The screenwriter, it was credited to Anthony Villier. However, as Malton mentioned in his brief synopsis of the film, uh, this was originally from a short story by the legendary author Ernest Hemingway. However, the screenplay was actually co-written by John Huston and Richard Brooks, but credited to Villier, who had been working as a screenwriter since the early 1930s, with his most notable work being Stage Door, which had Ginger Rogers and Katherine Hepburn, and The Stranger with Edward G. Robinson and Orson Welles. Houston was actually under contract at Warner Brothers, so this is the reason he wasn't giving credit for his screenwriting work. Alright, let's just get right into the film. There is no build-up for the opening of this film. About five seconds in, you get the Universal Pictures logo. The movie cuts the action of two men driving at night in Brentwood, New Jersey. You see two men stop, they get out of their car, and then they look around at a closed gas station. You see the face of William Conrad, who is Max in the film. Conrad is probably best known for playing Frank Cannon in the TV series Cannon. He was also the narrator for the, in the original TV version of The Fugitive. The other guy is Charles McGraw, who plays Al, who is another great character actor in tons of films, often playing either a thug or a gangster. So Max and Al decide to go into a late-night diner and give the waiter a hard time, and you learn quickly that these guys aren't to be messed with. Ketchup. What does it be, gentlemen? I don't know. What do you want to eat, though? I don't know what I want to eat. And I'll have the roast pork tenderloin with the applesauce and mashed potatoes. That's not ready yet. And what's it on the card for? Well, that's on the dinner. And have that at 6 o'clock. clock is 10 minutes fast. The dinner isn't ready yet. Never mind the clock. What have you got to eat? Well, I can give you any kind of sandwiches, bacon and eggs, liver and bacon, ham and eggs, steaks. I'll take the... Uh... The chicken croquettes with the cream sauce, the green peas, and the mashed potatoes. That's on the dinner, too. Everything we want's on the dinner. That's the way you work it, huh? I can give you ham and eggs, bacon and eggs, liver and bacon. ham and eggs. Give me bacon and eggs. One ham and bacon and... Coming up! You got anything to drink? I can give you soda, beer, ginger ale. I said, have you got anything to drink? No. This is a hot town. What do you call it? Brentwood. Ever hear of Brentwood? What do you do here nights? They eat for dinner. They all come here and eat the big dinner. That's right. You're a pretty bright boy, aren't you? Sure. Well, you're not, is he, Al? He's dumb. Hey, you. What's your name? Adams. Nick Adams. Another bright boy. Town's full of bright boys. One ham and one bacon and. Which one is yours? Don't you remember, bright boy? <laughs> what are you laughing at? Nothing. You see something funny? No. Then don't laugh. All right. He thinks it's all right. Oh, he's a thinker. What's the bright boy's name down the counter? I forget. Hey. Yeah? You go around the other side of the counter. What? You heard me. What's the idea? There isn't any idea. Better go around, bright boy.
Who's out in the kitchen? Only the cook. Tell him to come in. Say, where do you think Use your head. Tell the cook to come out here. Sam. Yeah? Come here. What was it? I'm going out to the kitchen with him and Bright Boy. Come on back, you two. Anybody comes in, you tell them the cook is off. What's it all about? Hey, Al. Bright Boy wants to know what it's all about. Why don't you tell him? What do you think it's all about? I don't know. What do you think? I wouldn't say. Hey, Al. Bright Boy says he wouldn't say what he thinks it's all about. Hey, you. Come here. I tell you what's going to happen. We're going to kill a Swede. No big Swede works over at that filling station? You mean Pete Lung? If that's what he calls himself. Comes in every night at 6 o'clock, don't he? Yes, if he comes. We know all about that. What are you going to kill him for? What did Pete Lung ever do to you? He never had a chance to do anything to us. He never even seen us. He's only going to see us once. What are you going to kill him for? We're killing him for a friend. Shut up. You talk too much. I got to keep Bright Boy amused, don't I? What are you going to do with us afterwards? That'll depend. That's one of those things you never know at the time. So the customer at the restaurant that was tied up ends up getting loose and tries to warn the Swede. But the Swede is already resigned to his fate. Swede! I was over at Henry's. A couple of guys came in and tied up me and the cook. They shoved us in the kitchen. They said they were going to shoot you when you came in to supper. Well, George thought I ought to come over and tell you. There's nothing I can do about it. I can tell you what they look like. I don't want to know what they're like. Thanks for coming. Don't you want me to go and see the police? No. That wouldn't do any good. Isn't there something I could do? There ain't anything to do. Couldn't you get out of town? No. I'm through with all that running around. Why do they want to kill you? I did something wrong once. Thanks for coming. Yeah. It's all right. The customer, who also worked with the Swede at the gas station, and the cook, Sam, go to the police station to look at photos to try to identify the killers, but to no avail. Edmund O'Brien, who plays Jim Reardon, plays a life insurance investigator, and it's interesting that an insurance agent would be immediately go to the police station. Then again, I don't know how life insurance investigation goes. So, O'Brien goes to the morgue to look at the body, 
And Tri-States Oil had a policy on the Swede because that's who we work for. But that being said, it still seems like a quick action from the insurance company be, to be so involved. But we discovered that the Swede was shot eight times. From there, the movie kind of goes back in time. So it's an interesting movie and sort of unique for the time. We already know the outcome of the film in the first 15 minutes. But the rest of the film shows flashbacks of the events leading up to the Swede's death. The day before the Swede was killed, he was at the service station and a man from out of town stopped to get some gas. And this was the era when an actual attendant would check the oil and the tires, the wash windows and all that stuff. So the Swede did the duties for the customer. And the man was really suspicious, though, and he stared intently at the Swede the whole time he was doing his job. And so after the guy left, the Swede said he didn't feel well and decided to go home. It's sort of like he knew about his impending doom. Then we go to back to present day, and O'Brien visits the benefactor of the Swede's policy for $2,500. The benefactor was a woman named Queenie who ran a boarding house. Queenie barely knew the Swede, so it seemed kind of random why he would leave a pretty large sum of money to essentially a stranger. However, the likely reason why the money was left to Queenie was sort of explained in a flashback told by her. One night when the Swede was staying at her boarding house, she came in to bring in fresh linens. As she entered, she found the room a mess and was all torn up as the Swede was on a rampage, breaking things like a madman. And all he kept saying was, she's gone. He then threw a chair out the window and attempted to jump out. Queenie talked him out of jumping, and he kind of slumped over the bed. So preventing his suicide probably led to him leaving her his life insurance. O'Brien has to convince his boss, played by Dolan McBride, to stay on the case for a few days to figure out why two professional hitmen killed a service station attendant. Something isn't adding up. So after some digging, O'Brien discovers that the Swede was a boxer from 1928 to 1935. Three years after his last fight, he was arrested for robbery and sentenced to three years in prison. He was released for good behavior after two years served. O'Brien visits the arresting officer of the Swede named Sam, played by Sam Levine. They were childhood friends. He still had to do his job, though, and arrest the Swede. And Sam explains through a flashback about the Swede's last boxing match in which he took a brutal beating and is knocked out, literally. It was interesting to see the tattoos on the fighter that the Swede lost to, and he had multiple on his upper arms, uh, which was not common in the 1940s. In any case, it was discovered after the fight that the Swede had been fighting with a badly broken hand. The whole evaluation after the fight was fascinating. It's obvious that the Swede had suffered a major concussion as he was literally knocked unconscious. He still thought he was fighting when a trainer asked him questions like who he was. And all the doctors on site said is, you better put him under a shower, like a little hot water will fix brain trauma. This wasn't the dark ages either, but it, man, it just shows you how medical science has changed, especially with head injuries. The Swede's manager doesn't seem too concerned that his fighter suffered a major injury, just that he lost about $10,000 in his investment in his fighter. Sam breaks the news, no pun intended, to the Swede that his fighting days are over. Not because of the concussion, mind you, but his hand was so badly broken that it couldn't be fixed properly. Levine says that the Swede is lucky that he isn't punchy yet, which was a way of saying he didn't have brain damage. Back in the day, you would hear about old fighters and how they were punchy. That was a euphemism for way too many hits in the head. The Swede at the time was dating a girl uh, during his fighting days, played by Virginia Christie. We discovered that after they broke up, Sam actually ends up marrying her. During her flashback, she explains why she stopped seeing the Swede. Their last date at a restaurant, the Swede ends up meeting the woman who would seal his fate. And this is where Kitty Collins, Ava Gardner, enters the film. Now, she looks absolutely stunning when you first see her on screen. The lighting on her is mysterious, and it's perfect for a femme fatale, which is the key component in film noir. Again, there's a reason why Frank Sinatra was incredibly jealous of Gardner. She is easily in the top five of the most beautiful actresses in her era. Going back to the lighting, if you pay close attention, you'll notice that the shadows on Gardner's face is always on the top of her head, while the rest of her face is lit. It's a really cool effect. The Swede is so smitten with Kitty that he basically ignores his girlfriend, which is a complete dick move. But then again, if he was a good guy, it would make for a terrible movie, especially for film noir. In another flashback, Sam explains that Kitty is Big Jim Colfax's girl, played by Albert Decker, a local mobster in New Jersey. And you can kind of see where this one is headed. Sam gets a tip that some stolen goods may be on display at a restaurant where some hoodlins hang out. He notices that Kitty is wearing a stolen piece of jewelry. She tries to stash the brooch, but Sam finds it. The Swede comes into the restaurant at the same time that Sam finds the brooch and says he's going to arrest Kitty. 
The Swede decides to take the fall for Kitty and is arrested after Kitty gives him a sob story. Now, Kitty doesn't even bother to contact the Swede while he serves time in prison. However, when the Swede is released, he continues to run with a shady crowd who are planning a robbery. He discovers that Kitty is running with his gang as well. And if you watch enough film noir, you'll realize that the femme fatale always has the power over the protagonist. This is no different in The Killers. The gang robs a hat factory of their payroll, which is a huge take, $250,000. Unfortunately, the gang tries to double-cross the Swede, and that's where things go sour for him. The rest of the film involves Edmund O'Brien trying to piece everything together about what led the Swede to getting killed. Mr. Reardon... I'd like you to believe something. I hated my life. Only I wasn't strong enough to get away from it. All I could do was dream of some big payoff that would let me quit the whole racket. The Swede was my chance to make my dream come true. I could only be alone with him for a few hours. But Colfax was always there. I thought it was hopeless. And then suddenly my chance came. You mean the burning down of the halfway house? Colfax sent me to tell the others what had happened that they were to meet at the farmers instead. I went to Blinky Franklin first, and then to Dum Dum. I saved the sweet till last. It was nearly two in the morning when I got there. I'm taking my life in my hands coming to you like this. But I just couldn't stand by. Not after what you did for me that time in Philly. Forget that. Why are you here now? Colfax thinks I'm on my way to New York. He's meeting me there tomorrow. But I just had to come to you, sweet, and tell you. Tell me what? They're planning to double-cross you. Who is? Colfax and the others. They don't intend for you ever to get a smell of the money from tomorrow's job. How do you know that? Colfax sprang it tonight on Dum Dum and Blinky right after you left. First he called your names and said dirty things about you. And then he sprung it. What if they were not to go to the halfway house after the robbery? You'd go there, but they'd be someplace else and so would the money. What did Blinky and Dum Dum say? They fell right in with the idea. Where are they going to meet? The farmhouse north of town on Polk Road, 11 miles out on the turnpike. Colfax hates you, sweet. So much so that Blinky and Dum Dum have caught it from him, and they hate you, too. Thanks for putting me wise, Kitty. What are you going to do? Sweet, what are you going to do? I'm going to do them like they mean to do me. Promise me one thing. You won't give me away. If Colfax ever found out what I did... Don't you worry. You know why Colfax hates you? Because of me. He's no fool. He sees what's happened. Why did you ever go back to him, Kitty? Maybe because I hate him. I'm poison sweet to myself and everybody around me. I'd be afraid to go with anyone I love for the harm I do them. I don't care harming him. You're not meeting them tomorrow. And that's it, Mr. Reardon. The whole story. I knew then that by night the Swede had had the money. All of it. And it all worked out. He met me right after he left the farmer's place. We drove down to Atlantic City. As soon as you could break away, you left him flat. I'd like to have known the old Kitty Collins. Now, it's interesting how in classic films and old-time radio, how insurance agents acted as pseudo-detectives. Often, they knew more than the police and were kind of acting like badasses. You don't really have these types of characters any longer, which is kind of a shame. In any case, I won't tell you the outcome of the film because this is an essential film to watch if you're looking to get into classic films or film noir. 
So some fun facts about this film. Burt Lancaster was not the first choice to play the Swede. Producer Mark Hellinger originally wanted Wayne Morris, but Warner Brothers would not lend him out to another studio. Edmund O'Brien was actually considered for the role of the Swede, but was recast as the insurance investigator. Other actors considered for the Swede were Van Heflin, John Hall, and Sonny Tufts. The Killers was nominated for four Oscars, director, film editing, score, and adapted screenplay, but did not win any of them. Now, Ernest Hemingway liked the film, and prior to its release, producer Mark Hellinger sent publicity man Al Horowitz to Sun Valley to give Hemingway a private screening. Hemingway had a pint of gin in one pocket of the overcoat and a pint of water in the other so that he could sip from them if the film got bad. (laughs) After the screening, Hemingway held up the full bottles and grinned and said, didn't need him. Producer Mark Hellinger purchased the rights Ernest Hemingway short story for $36,000, although publicity releases announced the figures at $50,000. Hellinger originally wanted Don Siegel to direct the movie, but Warner Brothers loaned out their film. However, ironically, Siegel ended up directing the 1964 remake. The movie was so big when it was released in New York that the cinemas were open 24 hours to meet demand, helping them break previous box office records. Supposedly, the Las Vegas band The Killers named themselves after this film. Starring as an insurance investigator who solves mysteries and faces danger, Edmund O'Brien went on to play the same type of protagonist on the radio series Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. And luckily enough, I do have a Screen Director's Playhouse version with Burt Lancaster and Shelley Winters. So I'll play that now. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Again, if you're looking to get in classic films, this is one of the best. And it was unique at the time because of the flashback montages. They may seem cliche now, but back then it really wasn't used. So I will be back next week to do a whole new film for my DVD collection. From Hollywood, the NBC Theater presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, production The Killers, director Robert Siadmak, stars Burt Lancaster, Shelley Winters... Hollywood Screen Directors present a postscript to murder, The Killers, starring Burt Lancaster and Shelley Winters, and introducing the director of the film, Robert Siodmak. It's not always necessary to have lived a fabulous life in order to create fabulous motion pictures. But in the case of our guest screen director tonight, it most certainly has helped. At 19, he was a seasoned Shakespearean actor. At 20, director of the Dresden Germany Stock Exchange. At 21, rich. At 23, broke again. At 24, he launched the brilliant motion picture career that was to bring him to Hollywood. The director of such thrilling films as Dark Mirror... Spiral Staircase, and tonight's story, The Killers. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Robert Siodmak. Thank you. Thank you. Hollywood has given the world two kinds of motion pictures which are typically American. They are the Western and the gangster films, such as The Killers. This is not to say that America is a country of gangsters any more than a country of cowboys. It means only that America has created a new and fascinating kind of entertainment, such as our story. That instant is drama. Now here it is, The Killers, starring Burt Lancaster in his original role of Swede and Shelley Winter as Kitty. Swede! Hey, Swede! Swede, it's me, Nick. It's Nick. What are you doing laying down, Swede? You sick? No. Listen, sweet. I was down in George's diner when two hard guys came in looking for you. They, they said they were looking for you to kill you. I know. Then what are you laying here for? There's nothing I can do. Well, don't you want me to go in and see the police? That wouldn't do any good. Couldn't you get out of town? I'm through with running away. But why? Why do they want to kill you? I did something wrong once. Thanks for coming. I just thought, well, okay. But they're coming looking for you, Swede. They're coming looking for you. 
did something wrong once. What? A gas station attendant murdered in an out-of-the-way town called Brentwood, allowing himself to be murdered, helplessly and without complaint, submitting to extermination. Why? Why does a man come to such an abject end? Headquarters put me on the case because I had some college criminology and because I'd known Swede, the victim, back in the old days. This isn't the story of how we got Swede's killers. That's routine police work, and you've heard that story a thousand times. What brings a man to such an end as Swede's? That's the important personal story, and this is it. One by one, we rounded up people who'd known the Swede, some of them on the level. One who wasn't on the level was a gunsel named Blinky Franklin, who knew the Swede when. Give, Blinky. Well, let me see, ten years ago. Swede had just knocked Soldier Burns for ghouls, eh? That put Swede right up there as a contender for the light heavyweight championship. Well, after the fight, I took Swede over to Jim Colfax's apartment where a big party was going on. Kitty Collins, Jim's girl, was singing over the piano. Right away, I see that the Swede's interested. So I waited for Kitty to finish his song, and then I brought the Swede over to meet her. I loved him so, but there I go tonight. Tonight I must forget no more memories. Swing out tonight I must forget music, maestro, I don't see you beating your palms. Now, look, look, Kitty, I want you to meet Sweet Anderson. Sweet's a coming light heavy champ. Oh, how do you do? Hello, Kitty. Uh, you two make yourself acquainted. I want to talk to some of the boys. I'll see. So you're the next champion, Mr. Anderson. Do you like the fights? <laughs> I'm afraid I never saw one. No kidding. I can't bear brutality. The idea of two men beating each other to a pulp makes me ill. <laughs> Well, I don't get hurt. You're unusual, then. I'll, I'll go into some other racket before I let them knock me punchy. Really? It's uh, too bad Jim is out of town. He'd like to speak to you. Who's Jim? Jim Colfax. Um, he owns this apartment. Oh. Well, uh, why would he want to see me? Oh, he has lots of irons in the fire. I'll arrange it for you. Well, thanks. Th th that's swell, Miss... Uh, Miss... Kitty. Remember? I remember. Well, don't forget. I'll see you at the fight sometime. Two, three, four, Sweet, get up! Three, get off that camera seven, for the Swede was finished. He'd broken his hand badly in that fight. He'd never fight again. For a while, I didn't see the Swede. Then one night, I was in Lou Tingle's Arena Cafe. I'd been given a tip on some hot jewelry, and sure enough, there was some of it walking in on Kitty Collins' dress. Swede was with her, looking very prosperous indeed. I let him sit down, then I walked over, trying to make it look like a social visit, for a while anyway. Sam! Sam Redden! How are you, boy? Hello, Swede. Kitty, you know Sam Redden. Yeah, I know Sam. You're looking pretty sharp, Swede. That numbers racket really pays off. <laughs> boy, you know everything. <laughs> Say, that broken hand was the best thing ever happened to me. Well, how are you, anyway? What's on your mind, Sam? That diamond brooch Kitty's wearing. What are you talking about? Grand larceny and hot jewelry. Do you mean to tell me that brooch was... was stolen? Let's take a ride downtown, Kitty. Now, wait a minute, Sam. Swede. Is this a pinch? Don't let them take me. You can't do this, Sam. You're not going to stop me, are you, Swede? Look, let you and me go someplace and talk, huh? Look, Swede, if your girl happens to be a shoplifter, I'm sorry about it, It's but... not true, Swede. I didn't take it. I had no idea it was stolen. Make them listen, Swede. I'll give it back. I'll leave town. But don't let them take me, Swede, please. They'll throw the book at me. Look, Sam, you don't want Kitty. I swipe that stuff. I'm the one you're after. Get me? Okay, I get you. If that's the way you want it? Yes, Sam. That's the way I want it. 
I pleaded with him to tell the truth, but he stuck to his story and it got him three years. When he got out, Blinky Franklin met him and took him up to a room in a midtown hotel where Big Jim Colfax and some of the boys were working on the biggest payroll job of Jim's career. Kitty Collins, the girl for whom Sweet had served three years, sat on a trunk, knitting. I, uh, I guess you know everybody here, don't you, Sweet? Welcome back, Sweet. Hello, Jim. There's Dum Dum over there grousing around. Ah, yeah. Of course you know, uh, Kitty. Hello, Sweet. Didn't hear from you much in prison, Kitty. I'm not much for writing. You know that. I know it now. Uh, let's get started, huh, boss? What's a new pitch? Pull up a chair, Sweet. Now, this is big. It's the Prentice Hat Factory payroll over in Hackensack. We walk in as workers tomorrow morning and lift the roll. I'll give you the details in a minute. After the stick-up, we split up and meet again on the halfway house tomorrow night on Route 1. Halfway house, Route 1. Uh, how much is in it first? Yeah, it ought to be good for $250,000. Ah, not bad. Split how? Well, I'll take the first hundred grand. You can divide the rest three ways. Who declared you in for the big slice? I declared myself. What about Kitty? Kitty's with me. What do you mean, Kitty's with you? Don't start anything now, Swede. What do you mean, she's with you? I spent three years in stir for a robbery she'd done. What are you trying to give me? She's with you. You want a blueprint, Swede? All right, I'll give you a blueprint. Shut up, Jim. You keep your mouth shut if you don't want it slap shut. You put a hand on Kitty, Jim. You just try it. Oh, keep out of it, Swede. Kitty's Jim's girl now. Get out of my way, Blinky. Swede, mind your own business. This is my business. <clears throat> you crazy, Swede. What did you hit him for? I'll kill you for that, Swede. Reach for your gun and I'll kick your brains cut out. Cut it out, both of you. Cut it out. Why, you dumb palooka. Give me a hand, Blinky. Yeah, yeah. I ought to give you the work, Swede. Anytime you say, Colfax. We got a job to do tomorrow. Tomorrow morning at 8. Here's the full pitch now. Cars, all cars watch roads leading from Prentice Hat Factory in Hackensack. Armed holdup by at least three men leaving holdup scene in three separate cars. All cars proceed to Prentice Hat Factory at once. All cars calling all cars, calling all cars. are listening to the Hollywood Screen Director's presentation of The Killers, starring Burt Lancaster and Shelley Winters, and introducing the director of the film, Robert Siodmak. This is the concluding program in the present series. Beginning July 1st, the Screen Director's Playhouse will be heard on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time under the sponsorship of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. The opening program in the new series will star Cary Grant in Mr. Blanding's Bill's His Dream House. Remember the time, July 1st, and each Friday thereafter at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. We invite you to be with us then. And now, back to the second act of tonight's production of The Killers. <laughs> Who is it? Kitty, quick. Let me in, sweet. What's the matter? Close the door. Sweet, I'm gambling my life coming to you like this. What's the matter? What's wrong? Colfax is going to double-cross you. Going to double-cross me? They aren't going to halfway house after the robbery. You'll go there, but they'll be someplace else. And so will the money. Why are you telling me this? You're Jim's girl. Sweet, I can't let them double-cross you after you took that three-year rap for me. Is that the truth? So help me, sweet. It's the truth. They're going to meet at that old farmhouse on the North Turnpike. They are, huh? They are. Thanks for putting me wise, Kitty. What are you going to do? I'm going to do them like they mean to do me. Don't give me away, darling. Don't you worry, baby. 
You know why Jim hates you like he does? Because of me, sweet. He, he knows how it really is between you and me. Oh, Kitty. Kitty, why did you ever go back to him? I don't know. Maybe because I hate him. I'm poison, sweet. Poison anyone I really love. I don't care if I hurt Colfax. Oh, Kitty. Kitty, you're not going back to him again. You're leaving with me tonight, after I handle Colfax at the farmhouse. I love you, sweet. Hold me. I'll come back tonight. We'll go to Atlantic City. Hold me, darling. Just the two of us. You and me. Yes, darling, yes. Hold me tight. Tighter, darling. Tighter. Boys, I'm tired of waiting for Swede to show up. I'll just take my money now. Shove me the suitcase, dum-dum. Let's start counting. Okay by me, boss. Uh, start counting, Jim, so I can start counting. Okay, boys, hold it. Oh, Swede, what's the idea? Get your hands up. All three of you. You're reaching for trouble, Swede. Swell idea you guys had, huh? Leave me to cool my heels at the halfway house while you split the dough here. You were told of the change, that's why you're here. Shut up. I'll take that suitcase. Thanks, boys. Don't move. Next time, play it straight. Come on, after. All right, stop it. The more you're down as soon as you come out of the door. Dirty double crossing rat. You'll get paid off, dum dum. But good. Sweden Kitty escaped to Atlantic City with the $250,000. They stayed there for several days. Then, well, a woman named Queenie, a chambermaid at the hotel where they stayed, supplied us with the rest of that episode. Queenie? I, I was on night duty, turning down the beds. When I got to his room at 12.12, I heard something smash inside. I went in, and that poor young man was a sight to behold. I'll never forget it. There he stood, a wild look in his eyes. Half crazy, holding a splinter chair in his hand. Just as I came in, he threw it at the dresser mirror. Then he just stood there, like a big hurt kid. It was awful. She's gone. Oh, sir, you mustn't carry on like that, sir. She's gone. Where did she go? You mean the lady came here with you? She's gone. She went out this morning with a suitcase. A suitcase? The laundry, she said. She's gone. I'm going to. I'm going to. Oh, please, sir. Oh, not the window. Not the window, please. Take your hands off. Oh, please, sir, please don't. Let go. Please don't jump. Let go of me. Let me go. Oh, please don't do it, mister. If you do that, you'll never see the face of God. I want to die. You'll burn in hell till the end of time. I want to die. Wiley's room right away, please. Swede never saw Kitty again. For six years, Swede Anderson dropped out of sight. Then one day, a heavy, sleek convertible rolled up on the gravel of a gasoline station in Brentwood, New Jersey. Good evening, sir. Fill her up. Yeah, I guess so, bud. Uh, do you usually take Ethel? Ethel? Yeah. Yeah, Swede. Ethel. Uh, I must look Swedish. Everyone calls me Swede. This town got a name? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What is it? Brentwood. Brentwood. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brentwood, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Sweet. The next night, 
The killers came to Brentwood, and Swede lay on his bed, numbly awaiting his fate. I did something wrong once. In someone's opinion, a blast of gunfire corrected that wrong. Swede had double-crossed Colfax, taken a quarter of a million dollars from him, and then Kitty had taken it from Swede. It took some doing for us to get the details, but we got them. But not the final details. We needed Kitty for that. We got Kitty. I found her singing in a plushy nightclub, and I made a date to meet her there after the last floor show. At a corner table, I told Kitty some of what we already knew about Swede and the Prentice hat holdup. Then I popped the $250,000 question. What makes you think I've got that money, Sam? We got Blinky Franklin. Blinky talked. There's a chambermaid in Atlantic City who remembers your face from pictures we showed her. And I've just had a talk with Jim Colfax. You've seen Jim? He's mighty provoked about your skipping out with all that money. You told him I took it? He's mighty provoked. Look, Sam, suppose... Suppose I raise 70000 of the missing money. Huh? Uh-uh. Sam, I've turned over a new leaf. I've got a home now and a husband. I'm leading a life that, that's worth fighting for. Sam, what can I do to save something out of that life? Tell me. Turn state's evidence. What do you want to know? Who planned the robbery? Jim Colfax. Say that in court? Yes. After you took the money and left Swede flat in Atlantic City, how did you get rid of Jim Colfax? I... I staged a fight with him two days later and walked out on him, too. And you were in the clear because nobody knew you'd been with the Swede and taken his money away from him. Lovely girl. Sam, can't we go somewhere else and finish this talk? Where? Well, how about your apartment? Sold. I'll go powder my nose and get out of this costume. Don't go away, will you? I glanced over toward the entrance, and there they were. Death and his twin brother, and they were coming my way. I'd never seen them before, but I knew who they were. The killers. Their faces were empty of everything except that blank cruelty of the professional murderer. When I saw the long, vicious revolvers come up at me out of their coats, I didn't hesitate. I slid under the table fast and started shooting. Death and his twin brother were down. And I jumped up and made a beeline for Kitty's dressing room. It was empty. The door to the outside alley was open, and Kitty, of course, was gone. But I bet I knew where. The house was an elaborate one on the edge of town. The front door pushed open easily. Someone had gone in too fast and left it unlatched. I went in and closed the door. Whoever had come in had also alerted him. Jim Colfax was waiting for me at the top of the stairs. Redden? Present. And my boys didn't get you. On the contrary, Jim. Well, allow me. Colfax? I better get me a doctor, Sam. Jim, what is it? Oh, Jim. Better still, a, a priest. <laughs> Jim. Jim, darling, I'm sorry. I love you, Jim. I, I know, Kitty. It wasn't your fault. Sam. Yeah, Jim. To tell me, uh, how'd you figure it? Look, anyone can go to the Hall of Records and find out you and Kitty were married. You knew I was lying when I said I'd thrown Jim over. We know a lot of things, Kitty. I don't know why Jim sent those killers to blast the Swede. I... I had to. Swede was the only, the only one who knew that Kitty had ever had the money. Poor Swede. He never knew that Kitty brought the money straight back to you. You two framed the whole thing so you wouldn't have to split the take with anyone. You just used the Swede to pull your chestnuts out of the fire. But I didn't have anything to do with Swede's killing. No. Jim, tell him. Tell him I didn't ha know about those gunmen. Jim... You're dying, so why not say it? Say Kitty is innocent. It's no use, Kitty. Say it. Say it, Jim. 
Say Kitty is innocent. Say it. It's no use, Kitty. Say it. Say it. Say it. He's dead. That's it. I didn't tell you a detective story full of clues and pursuit. I wanted to tell you a Swede story. There are a lot of people in the world like Swede, more sinned against perhaps than sinning. Sure, Swede was to blame for a lot of things. But who is to blame for Swede? He's gone now, despair dying on his lips. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm through with running away. I did something wrong once. Thanks for coming. What about Swede? I read something the other day. I can't forget it. It went, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, send not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. I did something wrong once. What loosed the killers on Swede? Something he did? Or something we didn't do? All of us. I did something wrong once. I wonder. What did we do wrong? return in just a moment. But first, a message of interest to all our listeners. This is the concluding program in our present series. Beginning July 1st, the Screen Director's Playhouse will be presented for your enjoyment on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time under the sponsorship of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. The first production will star Cary Grant in Mr. Blanding's Bill's His Dream House. So for great motion picture entertainment brought to the microphone, remember the date, July 1st. Remember the day, Friday. Remember the time, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Now, here again are our stars, Burt Lancaster and Shelley Winters, and screen director Robert Siadna. Uh, uh, Robert. Robert, Robert, at the beginning of the program, you said that The Killers is a typical American film. Oh, yes, it is. Then tell me something. Uh, why, uh, why were you, with your European background, chosen to direct the picture? Well, it's very simple, because I hadn't spent my life in America. Everything was new to me. I saw things that you don't see. Well, like what? Well, let me give you an example. When I first traveled across the United States, I came to a small town with a big sign. The sign said Coca-Cola. So I said to myself, uh-huh, I'm now in Coca-Cola, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came through Burma Shave, Arizona. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's the way you became a director. Uh, certainly, my dear Shelley. It's merely a matter of applied ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it isn't, Robert. It's a matter of talent and skill and cultural experience. And I guess being born in Europe is kind of an asset. Oh, please, I wasn't born in Europe. My first years I spent in the United States. No kidding. <laughs> well, what's your hometown? Why, can't you tell by my accent? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Robert, forgive me, but no. Somehow I just can't place it. Well, I tell you, Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> you were born in Memphis? Well, certainly. Listen, I'll prove it to you. Good night, you all. <laughs> good night, Colonel. Good night. And good night to you, Bert Lancaster, Shelley Winters, and Robert Siodman. Mark Hellinger's The Killers was presented to the courtesy of Universal International Studios, who will soon release Calamity Jane and Sam Bass, a Technicolor production starring Yvonne DiCarlo and Howard Duff. Burt Lancaster will soon be seen starring in his own Norma production of The Hawk and the Arrow, soon to be released by Warner Brothers. Robert Siodmak's forthcoming release is the Hal Wallace production for Paramount, Thelma Jordan. Shelley Winters will soon be seen in Take One, False Step, a Universal International picture co-starring William Powell. Robert Siodmak appeared to the courtesy of Universal International Studios, who will soon world premiere the picture Illegal Entry, starring Howard Duff, Martha Torrin, and George Brent. Included in tonight's cast were Sam Edwards, Tony Barrett, Frank Gerstle, 
Bill Conrad, Gwen Delano, Clark Gordon, and Dan Riss. The Killers was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Production was under the supervision of Howard Wiley, associate producer Bill Karn. Your announcer has been Frank Barton. Listen again when Screen Directors Playhouse returns to the air on Friday, July 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Remember... Screen Directors Playhouse, production, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, director, H.C. Potter, star, Cary Grant, date, Friday, July 1st. NBC Theater came to you from Hollywood. 30 minutes of melodies follow now on American Album of Familiar Music. And listen for Take It or Leave It with Gary Moore and Horace Heights' original Youth Opportunity Program. All three follow immediately on most of these NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original, Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. (laughs) 
this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to. That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.